Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Composition with, with Greeks and Jews and pagans and slave and free. Uh, and this church is struggling. Now, Corinth and Ephesus are port cities. So there's a lot of commerce back and forth. It's only a few days to sail between the two. Paul, living in Ephesus, becomes aware that um, things aren't going well in Corinth. He gets some of that news from a person named Chloe and her people, a man named Stephanos, and it's believed that maybe, in fact, the church in Corinth wrote him a letter about their problems. Uh, but we don't have that letter. That, that letter's never come to light. So Paul, in return, or in turn, he writes a letter to that church. And then in the canon, that's called the first letter to uh, the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians. So Paul writes, and as you work your way through it, he greets them, he, he gives thanks, he proclaims Christ, and then he moves into some more practical things. He talks about divisions in their church that they're experiencing. He's talking about what the apostles gave and how they suffered to bring that church into being. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about lawsuits between believers. He talks about principles around marriage. He talks about living to your calling. He talks about food offered to idols. And on and on until he arrives at the Lord's Supper. And at the Lord's Supper, uh, he talks about how that can be misused to the detriment of a person. And then at that point, the whole conversation shifts, and he moves in, in the 12th chapter, to talking about spiritual gifts. And he talks about these different gifts, and he creates an analogy uh, of the human body. And he says, these gifts are like parts of the body. None is any better than any other one, and all are necessary for the body to function. Because one of the challenges with the church in Corinth is that people with different giftings believe that their gifting was more important than the others. And so Paul gets into this conversation about gifts in the 12th chapter, and then we arrive at the 13th chapter, and that's one I'd like you to open your Bibles to. Uh, that's one I want to talk about today. The 13th chapter is known as a chapter of love. I think everybody knows this, right? Everybody knows this. And so it's very famous, and it is the foundation for a lot of sermons about love. But I'm not going to be one of those today. I'm not talking about love. I'm talking about something else. But if you look in the 13th chapter... And you look at, um, starting in verse 8, and I think we'll have it on the screen. Um, it says, Paul says this, he says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So he names three gifts here and says, these will pass away. And he explains why. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. 
I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I, I gave up childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your way. And today, Lord, we ask that you would give us revelation, that you would meet each of us where we are, that we would hear you, and that we would come into the most loving and intimate and deep conversation in our thoughts, heart to heart and spirit to spirit. In your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. So Paul's talking about three things here. And these are a little bit tricky. He's talking about faith, he's talking about hope, and he's talking about love. And um, there were some first century ideas about these things that don't necessarily operate in the same way today. If you go to a dictionary, a synonym of faith is love. A synonym of love, synonym, uh, uh, excuse me, synon, synonym of faith is hope. And a synonym of hope, that's really a hard word this morning, a synonym of hope is love. But what's Paul talking about? Well, what Paul's talking about is he's talking about faith as divine persuasion. It's us trusting in an unchanging God. The the nature and the character of God does not change, and we put our trust in it. When he's talking about hope, he's talking about an ever-changing revelation. The literal translation of the word, elpistis, is joyful anticipation. Which always changes because we live in the revelation, right? So we have the unchanging nature of God, which anchors our trust, our faith. And we have the ever-changing revelation of God, which establishes our anticipation. And we have love. The word that's used in love is agape. Everybody knows agape, right? Agape is a... There's agape churches and agape ministries and, and... Lots of agapes. But the sense of agape is this. What agape is about, it's the unconditional regard, the respect. And I underline the word unconditional. The respect and a caring concern for another person. This is something Jesus modeled for us in a sin-filled world. That's what he showed. He sat at the well with a woman immersed in sin and modeled love. And model, do you want to drink a water? I have water you'll never thirst once you drink it. He modeled love. And the three go together, and as Paul said, the greatest is love. But today I'd like to talk about hope. I would like to talk about how hope works in our lives. And sometimes the easiest way to understand something is to look at it in its absence. So, Here's a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you're losing hope or you've lost hope? Think about it. Have you ever been there? 
Yeah, how'd that feel? How did that feel when hope left, when hope dimmed? How did that feel for you? I was thinking about for Betty and I in 2013, we had the flood and we had to leave. And it took us off the roof with a helicopter and, and uh, we couldn't go home for a few weeks and then it was about a year and a half until we could actually move back home. And I was thinking about the whole spectrum of feelings I had. I felt angry. This isn't fair. I felt frustrated. Um, I felt a lot of things, but something that struck me the most is I felt hopeless. As I stood on a roof and I watched Left Hand Creek wash away two generations of effort, two generations of labor, gone, down the creek. And what did I feel? I felt powerless. I couldn't do a thing about it. So when we lose hope, what, what are the typical things we do? Well, in the extreme, some of the things we do when we lose hope is we make careless decisions. We, we become just not even indifferent. It's that powerlessness that whatever, let's just do it. And we make bad decisions. Sometimes in the extreme, we see people who have lost hope um, act out that loss. Uh, they'll post something on Facebook. A manifesto arrives. They become violent. Uh, and they act out all of those feelings that the loss of hope can cause. And sometimes, sort of as the ultimate demonstration of hopelessness, they go to self-destruction. And they take their life. For the last several hundred years, we've been mining coal underground. Now, why am I telling you this? I'll get there. We've been mining coal underground. And um, <clears throat> a lot of the coal that we mined is bituminous coal, which is a softer heating coal. That's why we were mining it. It was to heat homes. And commonly found with bituminous coal is methane, pockets of methane. Methane's a colorless, odorless gas that's toxic. And so what the um, early miners did is into the mines, they carried a cage with a canary. There's a canary in the cage. And canaries, for whatever reason, are very sensitive to methane gas. So while they were working, they're watching the canary, because if the canary goes down, they're leaving the mine, right? That was their warning system, the canary in the coal mine. I think today we have a canary in our coal mine, uh, and I think that canary is about suicide. It's about taking lives. And it's a warning to us beyond the life of a person. It's a warning to what's happening to our culture and to our society when this happens. The World Health Organization says that about annually, about 800,000 people take their own lives worldwide. Can you imagine? 78% of them live in economies that are unhealthy. And for young people, ages 15 to 29, that's young to me, 15 to 29, it's the second leading cause of death. What is it that causes us 
to turn against all of the instincts that God programmed into us. What is it that causes us to do that? We see celebrities do it. We see all kinds of people. And I think the answer, in part, is the loss of hope. A bullied child. An abused person. There's no anticipation for anything coming different tomorrow than today. True? It's a loss of hope. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is not to bum you out, okay? The reason I'm telling you this is because we are called to be a bearer of hope. We're called to be hope bearers. That's who we are, and we follow the greatest hope bearer of all. Isn't that right? That's right. We bear hope. And to do that, we have to have the hope within ourselves, and we have to find the hope in others that we can encourage him in that. You know, Jesus redeemed this world. He reconciled us to the Father, and he brought hope. What would it look like if we carried hope in our life? I'll tell you a story. Um, In 2007, I was in Kigali, Rwanda. We had gone, a group of about 25 of us had gone to Rwanda, uh, and we were supporting Willie Ruminera and Comfort My People Ministries. None of us had ever been there before. It was kind of hilarious in many ways, but in some ways it wasn't. While I was there, we sat down and we met with a woman named Fatima Nzinga, and she was the director of the National Office of Reconciliation. And the reason they had that kind of office is because in the early 1990s, they experienced a genocide. A country of 8 million people, and in three months, 90 days, almost a million were killed. Not in an antiseptic way like the Holocaust. They were killed with shovels and spades and machetes, all these things. And they were killed without hope. You can see films of people standing on the street waiting to die, just waiting to be killed because they had lost all hope. So this lady told me that when the genocide ended, it took about three months to get it stopped, Rwanda was devastated. They had no government. They had no educational system. They had no health care system. They had no economy. They had nothing. They had dead people all over the place. I stood on a concrete slab in Kigali with 250,000 people underneath it in coffins. It was, it was massive. But what did they do? Well, she told me that what they did is Rwanda governmentally is a country with five provinces, and in each province there's districts, and in each district there's cells, and in each cell there's villages. And so they met with everybody across the country and said, at the cell level, and said, what are we going to do? Do we take all the people we hate and put them in one particular province? Do we just keep on killing? What do we do? And the answer was, in the face of all of that devastation, the answer was to embrace hope. And they said, no, we're going to forgive, and we're going to get together. And I can tell you that Rwanda is one of the safest countries in Africa. I can tell you that you could walk around the street in the middle of the night with dollar bills hanging out of your pocket, and you'd probably be safe. 
I can tell you that the United States government moved its East African headquarters from Kenya to Rwanda because it's safe. I can tell you that many of the conferences that take place on that continent take place in Rwanda because it's safe and because there's peace and there's hope. What happens when we all get together in that way? What happens when we embrace hope? We can change the world, right? We can do that. We have in our hands the ability to change the world because we are the hope bringers. To bring hope, to bear hope, um, there's some practices that we need to embrace. And three of them come to mind. Uh, One practice is awareness. One is nurturing. And one is cultivation. Let me explain what I mean. We don't know what we don't know, right? When you think about awareness, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes for us in our day-to-day lives, it's the distractions around us that can disconnect us from what we do know. And pretty soon we find ourselves in a grind and we're no longer bearing any hope at all. So first of all, we have to have some awareness of hope. And that starts with with self-examination. When we sit with the Holy Spirit, when we sit with the Holy Spirit and we open our spirit and we say, Holy Spirit, I have some questions. Help Help me see what I'm holding Help me think about how I feel about what you're showing me. Help me understand why this is important to me. Why does this matter, whatever hope it is that you're showing me? Discovering hope, it's an ongoing communication. It's awareness after awareness after awareness in a conversation with an inexhaustible God who's so much after us. He's so much after us, he sent his son. That's how much he's after us. We need to have that conversation to find our hope. Awareness isn't a destination. I don't know, given the age of this community, how many of you remember roadmaps? Paper roadmaps, remember though? Now it's all digital, of course. But in the day of paper roadmaps, you had a map and it was all folded up in this incredibly complicated way, wasn't it? And you'd have the map and uh, you couldn't see everything on the map until you unfolded it all, piece by piece by piece and then tried to figure out how to fold it back up. Because they get big. They get pretty big. So for us, awareness is a roadmap that unfolds over and over again. Because as we become aware of one thing, that leads to awareness of something else, and something else, and something else. And that's part of the unfolding revelation of God in our lives. That's how it works. We have to nurture, too. Um, I'm kind of a nut for this, okay? But we have to nurture our hopes. And the way we nurture our hopes is we declare them. We, we proclaim them. Everybody here knows the powers of words, right? We all know that. What did God speak into existence? 
spoke into existence. It's the power of words. We use it when we bless people. We use it when we pray for people. We use it when we bring a word of knowledge or a word of encouragement. Words are powerful. When we declare our hopes to heaven audibly, we practice a form of talk that that sort of has a triple impact because, think about it for a minute, if you're going to say something, the first thing you do is you think about what you're going to say, and the second thing you do is you actually say it, and the third thing you do is you hear it. All three of those things happen. When we make those declarations, we release the power of words that we have the authority and the anointing to release. Um, I have to tell you a story. Some years ago, I borrowed a bunch of money, and I bought a piece of land in Longmont. So I bought this land, it's 10 acres, and I wanted to build a uh, senior housing facility on it. So I borrowed the money, bought the land, and about two weeks after I bought it, all of the funding sources were shut off for those kinds of facilities. So now I had this piece of land. I had this big chunk of debt. I mean, big chunk of debt. And nowhere to go. And my hopes began to dim. I could drive by other places where they were building. It was like, ah, pain, pain. And I've got this bare piece of ground at the corner of Ninth and Hover in Longmont. And I've got this debt that's mounting, and it's mounting. And I got to where, let me tell you, I got to where I couldn't even go to that part of town. I could not do it. And I lost hope. And I saw no way to get out of that situation. And I was driving around one day, and the Lord spoke to me. Because I was asking him, what? How did this happen to me? How could this be? And he, in his way, you know, he doesn't always answer these questions. He does something else. And he said to me, he said, Bob, why do you despise what I've given you? Oh, that was tough. That, that pierced me. That convicted me. And I will tell you, from that day forward, I drove by that property intentionally. I drove by it every chance I could. I thanked God every time I went by it. I praised his name. I trusted him. And 12 years later, I sold it for five times what I paid for it. Because God is faithful. He's faithful. Declare your hopes. Nurture them. Don't take them for granted. The third thing is cultivation. And cultivation is about how we interact with others, as I'm using that word. How do we interact with others? You see, in the world of evangelism, what we tend to do is we tend to go to others with the other two gifts. We tend to go to others and say, let me tell you about faith. Let me tell you about faith, trusting God. Or we go to them and we say, for God so loved the world that he gave his son for you, for you for you. But if we don't go to others and cultivate hope in them, then life in Christ is stillborn right there. Stops right there because it's incomplete. So we have to cultivate faith in others. 
And that means that we have to help a person become aware of the promises, the gifts that God has set aside for them. We have to do that. When we do that, a person, just like us, in our own walk, become aware. They become aware of something. Maybe we say to them, well, you know, why do you feel that way? Why do you, why do you want to climb that mountain or build that bridge or swim that ocean or whatever it may be? Why does it matter to you? Why is it important? And in doing so, we're not telling them why. We're inviting them into an exploration to understand what God is saying to them. As they become aware of that, then we have the opportunity to reinforce it. We have the opportunity to help them develop it. I think a good example of how faith and hope and love all work together is around a child learning to walk. Now, I think everybody walked in this room today, so I know we've all been through this, okay? No doubt about it. And some of us have children and grandchildren, and we've watched them too, and the the, the dynamic looks something like this. Uh, Our child trusts us. Because we provide every good thing. When they're hungry, we feed them. When they're lonely, we love them. And, and they know that. So they trust us as a parent when they're the age of uh, learning how to walk. It changes later on, right? But right then, they trust us. And they know that we love them. We gather them up. We cuddle them. We say, I love you. We kiss them. We hug them. We do all these things. So they have faith And they have love. And somewhere along the way, a hope emerges. I've never seen anybody say to their child, kid, you've got to learn to walk. You've got to learn. I mean, children develop at different ages. And sometimes it's slower. Sometimes they like crawling. And we had one like crawling backwards. We couldn't understand that for a while. But eventually, eventually, they have a hope about learning to walk. And you'll find them, you guys know this, you'll find them walking along the edge of a table or a couch or something and they're hanging on and their legs are shaking and all these things are happening. And what do we do? What we do is we awaken hope in them. We say to them, come here, baby, come here. You can do it, come on, come here, come to daddy, come to mom. And we encourage them in hope You can do it. You can do it. And what happens? Someday they do. Here they come, first step. And then, boom, they collapse. However it works. But they do it because of the power of hope. Hope and faith and love go together. But if you don't have hope, if you don't have hope in your life, if you can't help someone have hope, then how can we change the world? We're hope bearers. That's the way we're born. That's the way we're made, and that's where we're called, is to bear hope. I'd like to take a moment now and undertake a little exercise. I'm about done, okay? Relief abounds. I'm about done. And so what I'd like you to do is sit there and close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes and think about something you have for a hope. Just grab the first one. You don't have to pick the best one. Just grab something that you have as a hope. Maybe, maybe you have a hope that, um, 
Your child is going to do something, or your parent, or your boss, or a friend. Something's going to happen in your life. You have some hope. Just grab that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your hopes. We praise you. Thank you. Now as you're sitting there, just sitting there holding your hope, form some words in your mind around how you would declare it. How would you say it? How would you say, Lord, my hope is that my friend finds you. Lord, my, my hope is that I have provision. Lord, my hope is that this world changes. And as those words come to mind, would you just verbalize them just quietly? It's between you and the Lord. And just say those words. Just whisper them to him. Just say them quietly. Thank you, God. Thank you that you asked us, Jesus, what do you want? And thank you that you weren't inviting us to select from a menu of what makes us happy. Thank you that you were inviting us into an intimate, a deeper exploration to discover what our hopes are. Thank you, Jesus. And I have a homework assignment for you. (laughs) This week, what I'm asking you to do is this. Each day, in your quiet time, it only takes a few minutes, I think, hopefully, each day as you go through this week, Set aside a little bit of time and sit like you just did and say, Holy Spirit, show me a hope. I need to connect with a hope. I need to connect with that hope, Holy Spirit. And you will. You will. And as you do, you can declare it. As you do, you're able to say... Today I'm feeling a hope of whatever it may be, and I declare it, I proclaim it, I receive it, I bless it. And do that each day. Do that each day as you go through the week, and as you do, remember the ones from the days before and repeat them. Declare those hopes. Proclaim them. Verbalize them. Bless them. Pray them. And see how the world changes for you. The people of Rwanda were able to do it out of the greatest of 
tragedy and misery, they were able to embrace hope individually and collectively. And the rest of the world, we can do that too when we understand about the canary in the coal mine. But you know, for all of us, it's not just about us. It's also about those around us. It's our brothers and sisters. So the second part of the homework assignment is to have an awareness of those around you. And as you think about them, as you pray about them, Think about what you might see as their hopes. Think about being compassionately curious to, to look at them and try to discern what are they hoping for. Because as you can see what they're hoping for, you have a way to help nurture their hope. I'm sure that not all of the people of Rwanda became hopeful in one moment, they encouraged each other. They cared about each other. They connected with each other. And we can do the same thing. We'll never make enough laws to get people to stop killing themselves or shooting each other or any of those things. It's the presence of Jesus as the great hope bearer in their life. That's where things change. That's where it changes for all of us. You know, to me, hope is like um, fishing. I like to fish. haven't done it for a while. But one thing I found about fishing is I didn't care much for fishing in lakes. And the reason is, when I'm on the shore or I'm in a boat, it all looks the same, doesn't it? It's just like this sheet of water. And I have no way to see what's underneath. I don't know where the fish are. I don't know where they're not. I have no idea, but I tell you, I love to fish in streams. You know why? Because every time you go around in the bend of a bank, there's a new hope. There's a log here with a pool in front of it. There's a rock there. Even if there's not a single fish there, there's the beauty of what God did, and I can declare that hope. I can appreciate it. I can live in it. Hope is joyful anticipation. Let's shake off the cares of the world. Let's not let that rule our thoughts, our hearts, our emotions. Let's embrace hope. Let's embrace hope. We follow the greatest hope bearer ever. We've already won. We've already won. He's overcome the world. There's nothing that he can't do. And when our hopes are dim and when we're struggling, let's remember that he can make a way where it doesn't seem like there is any way. Faith, hope, and love. That's what remains. That's what remains for us. Amen? Amen. Okay. Ministry team, could you come please?